On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have OG handicapper Mike Craig to talk about college football, college basketball handicapping, the process that they go through to make picks. And Rufus and I talk a little bit about pricing some same game correlated parlays. And then we make fun of ourselves. And irregardless of any of that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a out with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast, where college basketball season has started, and we are going to have Mike Craig from Right Angle Sports on, but longtime college basketball handicapper, um, and real better, and college football. So very, very real better, real better. So I've I've known Mike. But do you know the story of how I know Mike, Jeff? No, I met Mike at my first ever Sloan. I think it was 2011. Might have been 2012, but but in the in the hotel bar at the what is it the Sheraton, and I'm down there the night before, and and I'm talking to this guy, and he's like, oh, you bet, like yeah, I bet, and and it turns out that like he was actually getting accounts for us, like it was just it was it was absolutely crazy. That's hilarious. So you actually knew him, but you didn't. yeah yeah we we knew each other, or you know, he knew my business partners. I wasn't the guy handling that side of things, but I've I've known him a long time. So I wanted to ask you about, um, I think he listens to this podcast. He's a controversial person on Twitter, but it's Raheem Palmer. He actually tweeted out the correlated games this week, the Cowboys minus 16 and a half and the totals 38 and a half, which is like kind of this crazy combination in the NFL that you don't see very often. And he talked a little bit about the correlated parlay kind of thing. Like, you know, back in the day, you know, obviously the, the, this is correlated because the favorite and the over are correlated and the under and the, um, underdog are favored are correlated. And so you can't just explain why Jeff, no, you can, why don't you explain why you're well, okay. Conditional. If you told me that, that Dallas won by more than 16 and a half points, the number of outcomes there that have, um, more than 38 and a half points is going to be greater than less than that because well a you can't have anything between less than 17 points in that case and you have very few combinations that are i mean if it's seven it would be 17 to nothing right so knowing they won by this much conditional on that um it's it's more likely that there are more points scored i mean back in the day like uh jason bean at the not the to be confused with the kansas quarterback but jason bean former lvsc odds maker who sadly passed away in 2014 he told me back once he was able to bet Oklahoma minus 40 and a half parlayed with an over 45 for a game. So those, those were the days. Those uh, were because the if days. you think about it, like if Oklahoma covers minus 40 and a half, like there's only basically like one real score, 42, nothing where they don't also go over 45. So. Right. That's, that's why there's the correlation. Okay, so he tweeted out the different combinations of same game parlays, which I thought was interesting. 
do you want to write these down so that you can kind of give a little bit of of math love to these and this is interesting yeah, right. in, in light of our whole idea of same game parlays being beatable from our interview with ed miller but he has the cowboys minus 16 and a half and over as plus 209 he has the cowboys minus 16 and a half and under as plus 307 because it's negatively correlated he has the Giants plus 16 and a half and over 38 and a half as plus 278. Again, negatively correlated. And then he has the Giants plus 16 and a half and under 38 and a half as plus 197. And these are all Wait, just this... from same game parlay slips from, um, I don't know. what. Oh, what these, this is what is being offered. These are not his. These prices. are what being what offered by, by FanDuel. That's interesting because it's okay. At first, I thought it was his prices or something. I was like, well, he must just really like Dallas because I saw plus 209 and plus 307 for the minus 16 and a half. But obviously, there's a lot of juice there. Well, also, Dallas minus 16 and a half there is priced at minus 105, where the other ones are all priced at where the Giants plus 16 and a half is priced at minus 105. I don't think there's value betting into that. Any of these? No. No, they're 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 juicing that to the wazoo. I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I can almost guarantee it. the The full game stuff is not nearly as correlated as people think. I mean, it is with a total this low, but it's it's not enough to that a plus two and nine makes sense. Um, well, then would the would the negative correlation stuff be valuable? No, because just so literally, literally, like if there was right, no there's... correlation and and they weren't taking out any vig, everything would be three to one. Yeah, and you only have one thing over plus 300. So, I mean, they're taking out a shit ton of it there. Right. Right. What you got to look for is a book that is pricing this stuff. Like it's not correlated and there probably no are a few of those. Anymore, right? uh, you think so? I mean, look, we've had, I, I bet a lot of, um, first half parlays that are correlated enough to have some value, but not too correlated that the books are actually not taking it. Got it. By the way, one interesting thing on this, I, I was doing some digging into some some SGP stuff the other week, and I found I was kind of trying to figure out the sort of correlation um, aspects um, for things like quarterback or, or two, two different wide receivers over like on the same team or things like that, right? Basically, I was trying to look and, and see on DraftKings, and what I found was that they literally are marking up the over on just about everything. Like if if you're parlaying overs, you are paying more. It was wow. in and by about like, I think it was an, on average an extra three percent. So they're just adding more vig into overs. It, it, I found it so very very fascinating because which makes sense because they know that's what people are going to be parlaying more. So if you do want to attack SGPs, just know that the DraftKings at least is a premium you're paying for if you're if you're parlaying overs. And that you're not if you're parlaying the unders. I wonder, I mean I can explain what I did. Yeah. I basically no, figured out the implied I I figured out the implied price basically of each leg based on the individual leg. Well, I, I had the first leg and then I figured out the parlay price. And then from there I could impute what the second leg price would be, you know, the conditional pricing there. And what I figured out was that when you add up those different conditional prices, you end up with a different price of price that's way more slanted to the over than the actual price of the prop offered. 
So let's say you have, um, actually I, I have a spreadsheet that I built or that I was, I, I was looking at this and I, I built a little spreadsheet and I'm gonna try to find it for you, but I might have found like George Pickens over 27 and a half yards is a funk like, and, and Deontay Johnson over, I'm just making up numbers here, 36 and a half. I know they're probably higher. Right. And so what is that, you know, they're both minus 115 each way, but the parlay price, the parlay prices for George Pickens over conditional on Deontay Johnson over, like if you, if you add those up, if you multiply each, if you multiply the price, the imputed price conditional on the under times the probability that Johnson goes under, you know, plus conditional price uh, on conditional on Deontay Johnson going over times the probability Deontay Johnson goes over, what you ended up is like the over should be like minus 124 or something like that instead of minus 115. So I, I found that just fascinating that they're like, there's something in the system where they're in essence adding, adding VIG when you're parlaying overs. They they got some smart people that aren't necessarily pricing games correctly, but they're pricing the way to get the most money out of people, if that makes sense. Yeah. They're really and and even from these offers and all the stuff that they're doing to bring people back in, it's a it's a dirty business. Um, all right. Let's um let's welcome in Mike Craig and then we'll talk to you guys all again on the other side. We now welcome in Mike Craig to the Bet the Process podcast to talk a little college basketball with us. We had our our first college basketball games this week. Uh, did you bet anything on them? Yeah, of course. <laughs> How did you do? I uh, did all right. Uh, the you know I'm with Right Angle, so the service ended up ten and nine on the first day, so that was a little little disappointing. Uh, betting wise, I with a hundred and. It was 113 games on the card. It was it was a long day of just betting and betting and more betting. The stuff we didn't release to to our subscribers. So, yeah, long day. Did did all right. I mean, not, nothing nothing crazy, but small win on the service, small win on betting. How do you guys um, determine what games you give out on the service versus what games you bet yourself? So we actually, we, we believe it or not, and a lot of people don't believe this, but it is true. Uh, we try to release the best stuff. So what we do is we have, we have a Google document and multiple people are filling out their individual plays on that. Just a, just the whole rotation listed. And then you can write, there's a column for me, a column for Ed, a column for Mike, and anybody that's involved. So you can kind of see what everybody, what everybody likes or leans. And we have a conference call uh the night before the day before then the morning of um obviously lines are moving overnight so you can't make final decisions the day before so so when it comes to the day of the game when it comes to deciding what to release basically we take a list and and when there's 113 games on the card we might dwindle it down to 30 games and we actually do like a poll of what's your favorite seven plays and then once we dwindle, once we get the pull together, we might dwindle it down to 12 plays. And then we just kind of discuss those plays in further detail. And then we do another survey that dwindles us down to what eventually gets sent out. And we do that for sides. We do that for totals. We do that for both. Basically, we can say we, we get a poll. One of the guys creates a poll and it'll say, do you want to release this? Do you want to bet this? Or do you want to pass so we get a kind of a consensus. What's everybody want to do? And if somebody says pass and four other people say release, it's kind of like, well, let's talk through this. And 
it, it just creates a system where where you know I, I think we're getting the best stuff out there on a day like yesterday, which is actually difficult to do with that many games on a card. That's that's a lot of um. That's really interesting. First, that's that's a lot of time in meetings. It, it is. It's a lot of times in meetings. I, I would argue we probably spend too much time on meetings, um, but it's it's a little different when the card's more manageable. When you're talking 100 plus games, it's it's sort of a necessity to be on a call and you kind of know it's going to be a long day ahead of time. Day like today, um, you know, it's it's uh, regular rotation games and seven or eight extra games. So uh, we had a few things on the list to release, but unfortunately, some lines moved. So. Uh, we ended up passing the regular rotation and we have a release later in the day. So we do have a couple of things we have our eye on for that um, possible extra releases and, and uh, one or two games that we're kind of just monitoring line, line movement and some player and outs um, injury potential stuff. How so, much, um, how much do you all collaborate and, and talk about your, your modeling processes or teams before these conference calls or is it, is it, is there more value in being completely independent and then coming together rather than like it's, be, it's having your opinion contaminated? It's an interesting question because I think we have differing opinions within the team. I personally, I like to not look at anyone else's stuff. Um, I like to not even look at that document until I have my list ready to put in there. Um and then, uh, you know, I feel like there's more value in knowing we each came up with it independently. I feel like that makes it stronger rather than, well, I see this guy's on this and this guy's on this. I'm going to hop on too because I kind of leaned it. I, so I think there, I think there's a little bit of danger in, in that mentality of, of I'm just going to follow and, and these three guys have it, so I'm going to put it on my list too. Uh, I like, personally like the independent thing. Now, when you have 362 teams this year, not everybody's covering every team. I stupidly still try to follow all 362 teams, but uh, it's getting from a time constraint and all the transfers and everything that's becoming more and more difficult over time. So a lot of our guys will focus on three or four or five conferences. Uh, and then we have, we have a team, uh, we have, we have a couple layers. So we have, you know, we have guys that dig up information and they'll, they'll maybe cover four or five, six conferences their job is to basically research in detail every single team from the smaller conferences. So they'll watch the coach conferences, um, interviews, post-game interviews, watch the games. And then that gets put into like a note system where like I can go in and look at all the notes for Southern Indiana that, that one of these other guys has compiled. So um, I'm totally going off on a tangent here, but uh, yeah, it's, I think I think the group thing's valuable. I, I, my personal, I like to, I like everybody individually come up with things, and then once that's established, then get on a call and kind of talk through why do you like this, why don't you like this, and and a lot a lot of times we'll if one person has if only one person has a play, the question will be well what are the negatives to this play? Like if I have an over, somebody will say well well what's the negatives to that play? And somebody might say oh well, this guy's out or. We don't know if this team's going to play with enough tempo to get it there or something like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a, ends up being a collaborative thing more so than an individual thing, but the initial is more individual, I guess. It reminds me of um, something Cade told me back when he consulted for an NFL team about how the, their scouting department um, was 
everybody was like coming together to make, like they were collaborating on these decisions on player valuations. Like they were talking about it and letting, letting each other's opinions influence theirs. And when he had them switch to everybody does things separately and then you put them together, they did, it would, they were so much better. So I, I find it fascinating. That makes sense to me. I, that's, that's how I would think it would work. So yeah, you can be, cause but, otherwise but, you can be convinced. Rufus, what do you, when you say that everyone does things separately, is there some sort of rubric that they score things with and they ultimately use that to make their decisions or what, like, because like what I, what I'm interested in with this is, and I do think you have this real propensity to get into like group think when you're in this situation with this many people like talking about things and talking through things. And, you know, you almost like lose the concept of analytics at any level when you, when you do that. But, you know, I, I think the question becomes like, if you have diverse perspectives, diverse models, I think that's a good thing. But Len, how do you actually use those models or those diverse perspectives to actually create a better selection without being prone to cognitive biases like groupthink? Well, and and also maybe having one person that tends to be more forceful and and vocal in meetings. Yeah, I think I think uh, I, I should. I, I wish I was a little more forceful. You you know me pretty well, Rufus. I'm far from a forceful person. Um, I I do think. I mean, we we kind of talked about that. Like, when you get a lot of content is boring, right? Because. You sit on, you have three guys talking about a game who all are supposed to be sharp. And you say, well, what about Penn State, Ohio State? And one guy says, oh, I like Ohio State because of this. Another guy says, yeah, I like Ohio State too. When everybody agrees, it's kind of boring, right? Like you want conflict to, to create something that's, that, I mean, every movie has a conflict. Every plot has a conflict. That's what makes things good. But that's, that's what, that's, what, that's if you're, that's well, if you're creating content, right? Like you, I don't think you want conflict necessarily in your discussions on you who you're going to You don't want conflict, I think it, but you want differing opinions and you that, don't want people. I think you want diverse perspectives, right? And, and I do think that, I think that's one of the tough things when you have, when you have guys who've been around a long time, like Ed's been around a long time, I've been a lo- around a long time, Mike's been, Mike, Jeff, Matt, have been around a long time, Travis has been around 10 years. Uh, then we have some younger guys who maybe have only been around a couple years. And I think that's a, that's an intimidating spot to be in, to, to, to be looked upon, to, uh, to disagree with people who've, who've done this successfully for a number of years. I think it's a tough, at least if I put myself in one of these guys shoes and I'm only there for two years, I think, I think it's tough to ask that person to sometimes you have to pull it out of them directly ask them like, you know, do you have any negatives? To this, this is your conference you study. And I think that's probably one of the hard parts or one of the, I don't want to say weaknesses, but you know, that that's one thing that I think, as when you have a person running the call, they, they should call on that person and specifically ask their opinion because there might be tentativeness in giving it if it differs from the group. I think this I think this is all really interesting in terms of how it generalizes to businesses in general. And I would guess Jeff has has real insight and experience with this type of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess... The the interesting thing about this is I think this is when you make you make decisions in a business and you you want to hear all the different viewpoints. And so I think if I am in a business situation and I'm trying to make a decision, I'm gonna go 
you know, there's two ways to do it. One is to have a big meeting where everyone comes in and talks about it. And the other is to go talk to people individually and get their ideas. And I think it's often better to just go and talk to people individually and kind of get their ideas and feedback and not be prone to the biases of like a big meeting concept. I think meetings generally like big meetings are usually very unproductive um, because there's just too many people there. And, you know, like you think about the expense of a meeting being people's time and having that many people in a meeting does seem expensive and and costly. And so it's, again, I go back to this idea generally of sports betting. And I think college basketball is an interesting one because there are so many teams that there is like some form of information asymmetry these days still. Like, I think that you just don't, the actual sports books just don't know enough about individual situations. So there may be opportunities to get edges, but like, I always worry about how you take those information asymmetries and actually create any, anything quantitative from them or analytical from them. So how, how do you guys think about that? You know, like what's the, I guess what's the um, sort of stratosphere of of the actual like the different handicappers and the actual analytics that go into them? Well, I think I think I mean for me, I've always said like depending on the sport, I don't do things the same way week one as I would do in college football. I'm not going to do things the same week one as I would do week ten. Um, early season, a year. This is just at least my opinion. I'm going to be more, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to make numbers based on, I'll talk college football as an example, uh, based on the end of last season, I'm going to make projections and, and, you know, I'm going to use some of the rating systems that are out there. I'm going to use some of the models that I have. So I'm going to make numbers in 10 or 15 different ways. I'm going to have 10 or 15 different numbers from the end of last season. And I'm going to throw bowls out too, because, I mean, the way bowls are nowadays, I, I don't think they mean anything. So I wouldn't have thrown bowls out five years ago, but for this season, preseason, I'm not doing anything with bowls. I'm just totally excluding them from any model. So, so I'm going to make a number, uh, a point spread and a total for every game. And then I'm going to subjectively look at coaching changes, um, personnel changes, and I'm going to, in my head, adjust adjust teams based on what they've lost, what they've gained, uh, coaching changes, tempo changes, offensive coordinator changes, things like that. So that's my week one process. As as we move on in the season and you gather more data and, and college football is a, a game of a small, it's a small sample size in week 12, right? Um, so, but I'm, I'm going to rely more on the analytics, the numbers that I'm making late in the season than I am early in the season. I'm really just going to subjectively adjust based on last season's numbers. I mean, I guess, I guess you'd say that's my prior. And then I'm going to look at that for a few weeks and I'm going to build this season's numbers into that. And then as I go on, I'm going to, and I mean, when you start prepping for college basketball, someone like me, I don't have time to look at football the way I did six weeks ago. So I'm, I'm at this point, I'm barely going to even place a college football bet. I'm going to look at some numbers and maybe bet four or five things all week. And then college, college hoops is similar um, I, th- I think the difference in college hoops from now to 10 years ago, back then uh, you had Ken Palm and Ken Palm was pretty much it. And Ken Palm would do preseason projections and they were typically pretty accurate when you talked about players that were lost. But in terms of tempo changes or a coaching change where a philosophy changes, I mean, you would have totals that were off by 
I, I'm not exaggerating. You, you have totals that were off by 10 to 15 points and you just don't see that anymore. There's more, there's more rating systems out there. The projections are better. And as a result, and the books are just copying, the openers are just copying the projection system. So, so the lines are just, the lines are just more correct from the get-go than they were 10 years ago. And then you have more people involved in the industry and people betting overnight. And you know, some of the stuff, some of the numbers, it, it's easy to tell that they're wrong. If you put a little time in subjectively, you don't even really need to do any math. You can kind of just, you can, well, I shouldn't say you don't need to do any math, but you can look at a projection system and and kind of kind of make plays based upon that. And that was dangerous 10 years ago. It's it's probably a valid way to win uh, or at least break even the first couple of days of the season now. That's interesting. I mean, if, if you know that that places like Ken Palm and, and Torvik are like being the primary determinants of the numbers and you know what goes into those systems and what they're not accounting for, then you can have a reason that you have alpha. And it's, I mean, I'll, I'll say it's the same with um, some of my golf stuff. And I know that like data golf has some market influence and I know what they don't account for. And I know, so I know that in this particular situation, their number is going to be low here. And so if they move the market, I can find that value. Yeah. And like when I started doing this, which was 2008, when I started doing college hoops, you could take Ken Palm and really all you needed to do was, and you know, from modeling, like a lot of times in a low total, you come out too low and a high total, you come out too high. There's not enough pushing it towards the average. So back in the day, I mean, in 2008, 2009, you could just take Ken Palm and adjust his totals that were 119 up to 123 and just sort of just have a, a sliding scale to push the high and the low a little bit towards the average. And that was good enough to win 15 years ago. Um, now, now it's not even close. So. So you mentioned, and, and Jeff kind of asked about this too, the, the qualitative information. And I think the hardest part for, for me in, in betting is figuring out how to quantify that information and how to say, okay, like, for example, this week in college football, like I make the Duke total, not adjusting for the fact that they have both their first and second string quarterbacks out. I would have made the total 59. The market is like 51. Like how much is, how much is that worth? Um, and so do you have like a framework for in football or basketball for, I guess, identifying sort of the range, the order of magnitude of a particular, a particular piece of like qualitative information? I, I don't have any sort of formula that says this, this is this guy's worth. I mean, I think one of the things people fall into is, well, this guy's worth seven points. And it, you can only say this guy's worth seven points. You have to know what his backup's worth, right? So so I think we tend to say, oh, this quarterback's out. But what if going into the season, they were neck and neck for the starting job? That, that injury might be worth nothing. And the backup might be better in a real game situation. So I, I think a lot of people tend to just see an injury and – and fire on it. And, and it's, when you, when you don't have, I always say with injuries, if you don't have a basis and that's why I think math, and, and you don't have to be great at math. You don't have to have your own model, but if you don't know that the line should have been seven when Aaron Rodgers was announced out, how do you know what it should be when, when he gets injured? And so there has to be some sort of basis before you make an adjustment in terms of identifying or quantifying a player's worth. Uh, like I said, I think I think for a quarterback, you're looking at the backup. For a goalie in hockey, you're going to look at the backup, whatever. But I think 
you know, I, I just from year over year for college football, I, I think like to me, like a guy who has a ton of tackles that plays middle linebacker, it doesn't necessarily mean he's an impact player, right? Because that's you, 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 if you have good guys in front of you, like that's kind of your job to make tackles. Um, I would look more for guys that, that are impact players like sacks, tackles for loss, uh, things like that. Uh, those guys would be more valuable to me than, than a guy who just has a lot of tackles or passes defense, like pass breakups. That's, that's bigger than just the guy, but that, that, that can be misleading too. Cause maybe they don't even throw at you cause you're so good. So I, th- I think secondary players are difficult. Um, I think defensive ends or, or outside linebackers, whatever you want to call it, that, that rush the pass or get a lot of sacks, tackles for loss. I think their impact is higher than just a, a middle linebacker or something that makes a lot of tackles. And, and then like, like running backs, I don't, I mean, I think, I think the jury's out. The running back position isn't all that important. That that's not to say, especially at a college level, that's not to say there's not a drop off from a guy who averages six and a half yards a carry to a, to a backup who averages four there's there just can be big play more big play potential i think with the with the guys that go out in college and i mean that's really all i look for receivers like a slot receiver who has 110 catches and averages 11 yards a catch like how much of a loss is that to the next year like you you can just put another guy in the slot that's not gonna have any big plays so i i think receivers it's a yards per catch thing um and, and it's that's really a measure of big play potential right so I think it's explosive plays and big play potential when you're looking at injuries to, to really that those are the valuable guys. Mike, what about like the, the sort of qualitative information that's not injury related just from following all these conferences in college basketball, are you able to, are you able to sort of say, okay, my model says this, but you know, the coach said this in the press conference and like, how, how does that whole process work? I mean, that's really what we're, that's really what I think our biggest strength is, is we have guys, it's impossible to cover one human being can't, if they worked 24 seven, every minute of every day, you can't cover 362 teams in college basketball. It's it's not possible. So yeah, we, we break it down into buckets and each guy gets a certain amount of conferences and and i mean if you see uh, sides are going to be more affected by an injury right but totals is going to be more a stylistic change which you could have a i don't know you could have a quote from a coach that says uh you know we got bogged down last game we now we're playing he's not going to say we're playing a lower tier opponent but if they're a 20 point favorite now maybe the coach comes out and says, we want to score hundred tonight. We want to get the offense back on track. We're trying, going to try and get out and run. I mean, that's a, that's like an automatic over, right? Because I mean, basketball in general, and you know, this like basketball in general, it's pretty easy to model uh, to, to get, I'm not saying like to, to get an exact, this is what the total should be, but you can get within a few points of, it's pretty easy to get within a few points of what the closing line is going to be mathematically, typically. So if you see a quote like that, or maybe you see a coach say, oh, we we got out and ran too much and we were impatient. We had 22 turnovers tonight. We really want to make that extra pass and slow down and execute in half court. I mean, that's that's an under. So, you know, you have you have things like that. And those type of things are if you don't have a whole team doing things, that type of stuff is not it's not just going to pop up for you. Like you have to be looking for it. 
Or do, you have, gonna, do you have like reliability ratings for coaches? Sorry, Jeff, I'll let you go in a sec. Yes, but like, sir. do you know, um, like, are there guys like Bill Belichick it, who, who basically there's no correlation between what they say in press conferences and what they actually there, do. There's very, there's, there's, I could count on one hand, the number of coaches coming into this college hoop season that said, we're going to slow our game down and play slower here and be patient. Like every coach comes out and says, we're going to, we're, we're going to be an exciting brand to watch. We're going to run, we're going to get up and down. And this is what the kids wants, what the fans want. We're going to play fast. And to answer your question, yes, I think there's coaches who say it every year and it never comes to fruition. I mean, the North Texas coach said it last year. Uh, they were, I don't know if they were last in the country in tempo, but if they weren't, they were second to last. So um, yeah, you just take these things with a grain of salt. And a lot of times, you know, after a game or two, uh, was this real or was it not? And in the past, that could lead you to a few more bets on that. And the difference now is like the books, everybody's so aggressive to adjust based on one or two games. Um, that type of thing is there. You almost don't have time to confirm if these things are real or not. But yeah, there's there's definitely coaches. I, I was on VEASAN and Gil asked me and Herb Sundak, he's the Santa Clara coach. Uh, he's coached other places too, Arizona State. But he used to come out and say every year, we're going to play fast. We're going to play fast. We're going to play fast. And he never did at Arizona State. He, he might have the last year, I don't remember, but now they've actually played fast at Santa Clara for a few years in a row. So I feel like it took him like 10 years of saying he was going to play fast before it actually came to fruition in reality. So I had a question. We t- we're talking a little bit about impact of injuries and players, and there's a specific example from day one I don't want to talk about, which is that Portland State game against Air, against Air Force, um, where Air Force's top player was announced out, and the line only moved you know, point, but the total moved a lot. And so do you, any insight there on that game, just as a specific example? Well, we, we released that total under, so. So I, that's why it moved. That, that's why that, that total crashed so hard. And uh, uh, we would have liked it if he was in, obviously better that he was out, but uh, we still would have liked it if he was in just, uh, just a just slow team with Air Force every year, year over year, slow team that we thought was capable of slowing down Portland State. Got it. Okay. Rufus, any other questions for Mike? Um, well, I was going to ask him. I mean, I, I could go on for hours, but go for it about adjustments. So adjusting um, to a, a game or a few game sample size, there's certain situ, there's certain times when there is signal, I would think there and other times when it's more just random um, where let's say, you know, you have, you know, I don't know, a top team like Duke playing like a Lamar or a central Arkansas or one of these colleges, by the way, I'm convinced that some of these don't exist. There was one that said Northwest Indian. I don't even know what that, the ones that don't have the logos on ESPN. I'm like, (laughs) we should play a game where we can try to guess what state these colleges are in. And and Uh, I'm going to get like, when, (laughs) yeah, there's, 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 there's no prayer, but my point is, um, a team like, like a Duke playing a, really crappy team that they're going to win 97 to 58 or something like that. Are they going to be playing? I mean, they could be playing a completely different brand of ball or clearly than than in a game where they're playing a, a team that's you know more comparable in terms of skill level. And so how do you go about making these adjustments and, and making sure you're not overreacting and, and figuring out what is, what's the, what is signal? What isn't? 
I think I think that's what a lot of the game has become now at this point. The game meaning betting, uh, college basketball in particular. I think be and it goes back to what I just said. Like the 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 books are so aggressive to adjust based on one or two games. They they move power ratings and over over whatever you want to call an over under index. They seem to move things around really quickly. And I think a lot of a lot of identifying what's a strong play and what's not is exactly what you just said. It's it's did okay. So let's say let's say Duke loses as a twenty point favorite to well I don't, I'm only in to Siena. Say Siena beats Duke, but they go eighteen for thirty six from three or eighteen for thirty from three. Like Duke didn't lose that game because they're a terrible team. They just lost because of negative variance in in three point shooting and. You know, a power rating might get adjusted too much based on a based on a perceived bad loss to a bad team, but uh, in reality, it was just a, it was just an unlucky game for Duke. On the flip side, you know, a team like Louisville last year, like you couldn't even catch up to how bad they were, even adjusting aggressively. Um, and and apparently, after game one, I mean, they played a they played a team UMBC that that. Uh, pretty much had to replace their whole roster um and louisville i think they ended up winning by one but um they, they were an 11 point favorite they, like when you see that you say man louisville they have to be better than last year but then they, they have a performance like that there wasn't really that much luck involved it wasn't three-point shooting louisville was just bad and they should be adjusted downward based on something like that so a lot of times i'm looking at you saw it a lot in 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 these game ones too. I mean, Pitt's a good example. Pitt played a Pitt played. I forget who they played. But NCANT. Pitt plays NCANT, who's uh, does not look good whatsoever. Pitt should be down from last year. I didn't even look at how Pitt's rating has changed, but uh, Pitt wins hundred to fifty or something like that. Uh, Pitt lost their I think three of their top four players. If they were bumped up heavily after that game, I think that's a mistake to do that. It's just a it's just a game where they could run up the score against a really bad team that's starting over, and they did that. And that doesn't mean they're better than we thought they were coming into the season. But if you're just looking at numbers and analytics or scores, it's going to tell you that they are significantly better. So, so yeah, those are those are little things. I, I would look a lot at three-point shooting variance early on because um, that's probably, you know, football. You guys know football turnovers are probably the most – it's, it's the putting it's the putting of college basketball huh yeah yeah it's a three-point variance like turnovers in basketball are predictable to a degree uh the three-point shooting is what goes up and down every game and that's what that's what swings a lot of these games that's why in a tournament when you're looking for a dog I mean, you want a team that you look for a, like a a team that can make a run it's probably a team a team that can pull upsets it's probably a team that shoots a lot of threes and shoots them at a relatively decent percentage it's the classic like things that are strongly correlated with winning, but are not predictive, um, you know, e- e- easily predictable over time or, or have the highest variance around them. And like, like a team in, uh, if, if you're a 16 seed, you want to be a slow paced team that shoots a ton of threes, right? Because that's going to create the most overall variance for the, for, and if you're, if you're a number one seed, it's just why Virginia is susceptible to an upset because they're a slow paced team. So you know, there's only going to be 60 possessions versus a Gonzaga game where there's going to be 73 possessions. I mean, there's 25% more possessions in a game to 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 basically 
get rid of any noise that you're going to have. You you create more possessions, and that's that's what these high end teams should do against the bad team. You make such an interesting point. Um, you said that before that basically it's you can sort of solve this stuff mathematically. But what we see here early in the season is you have like a small data problem, and you have to fit in. There's there in the short run there can be a huge difference between sort of the process underlying the outcome and the outcome itself. Yeah, I I I hate. Well, I love it and I hate it. But early season hoops, I, there's so much manual work that goes into it because obviously there's no sample size yet. So you're going through every individual game and and looking at is this team being rated properly? And we we keep records, okay? So and, and you can see it on Ken Palm too, where he has them now relative to where he projected them to start the season. So. I mean, we look at that a lot, like, you know, two weeks into the season, if somebody's 30 slots worse than they were preseason, is this justified or is this, is this something that, is this something that randomness created? Or I look at too, like if uh, Long Beach is kind of notorious for, you know, they start off the season, they, they play a bunch of top 25 teams on the road. Um, and typically they're a higher end team in their conference. Um, but their rating can be if they get blown out by these teams and they're susceptible to that because they're, they play fast. So, so like you could see long beach maybe drop from, and I'm just using this as an example. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, you could see them drop whatever 20 spots in their rating. If they, if they take a bunch of blowouts in those games, but then when they get against teams that are at their level, they might be two or three points undervalued. And the flip side of that is, let's say, too, that let's say they're getting blown out by all these teams at the half. But in the second half, they they play the chase game and the other teams let up and, you know, they end up making these games closer than they are in reality. Maybe Long Beach's rating bumps up because they've played the 10 teams out of the top 25 where they're getting too much credit for the final score. Um, when it was really a case of they were getting blown out to half and they, they made up the ground against freshmen and backups. So, so all that stuff comes into play. And that's, what's, that's what's so difficult when there's this many teams is trying to look at every individual game, especially early season and figure out, that problem and like you said every game's an individual problem where you're, you're looking at a projection you're looking at projections and then what they've done so far and figuring out what's real what's not and that's really i mean that's really the process i use early season which is long and creates i i could and with all the transfers now i honestly i like i said i tried to get through every game i couldn't even get through every game with that card 113 games because nowadays uh, 362 teams you know how many transfers there were in and out in a the thousand, thousand over a thousand i don't there know was, it was uh, the last i checked it was like 1865 or something That's like crazy that. you're talking about five players on each team on average going in and out and it's it's just i, I mean we we have a team of 15 or 16 guys and some days i'm like we gotta hire more people here it's crazy yeah context is so 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 important and it's, it sounds like, I mean, just like a, a hell of a grind, huh? 
It is. And, uh, and usually it's worth it in November. So, um, it's, it's just, if you put the time in and there's, there's, I, I always feel like, man, I put so much, I put so much time into college football. It's such a shame that like, I don't do much of it the last five weeks of the season, but if you don't shift over to college basketball, there's just no way you can be prepared for, for, for what's coming. And it's not like the, once you get into conference play January and beyond, you get that kind of set schedule where, you know, Saturdays are going to suck because there's 140 games. Um, but then you get Sundays are usually like 25 games. Monday, Tuesday aren't too bad. Wednesday, Thursday, there's a lot of games. Then Friday, you get a little break. But now this time of year, it's like there's 40 games every night. You're <laughs> like you're not gonna do. You're you're not gonna sleep if you if you look at every game in detail. And that's the hard part. But uh, I don't know how much longer I can do it. But uh, hopefully, I got a few more years left in me. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. It's been awesome to have you here uh, and talk a little bit about college basketball. Obviously, we know you from a while back, but um, any uh, who's going to cut down the nets in uh, in uh, March or I guess April, technically? Um, give us your two early Final Four. I'll give I'll give you. I like Creighton a lot this year. Um, I, they're they're not like a. I mean, they're, they're probably, I don't even, I don't even look at future prices. I don't know, but uh, Purdue, I think probably Purdue is going to be in your top five. I don't really, I focus more on the lower end teams and the higher end teams. So this is kind of a tough question for me, but I do, I do like Creighton as a team this year. Um, I'll pick Purdue. I, what the hell? I mean, they disappointing last year, chip on their shoulder. Um maybe they'll be all right this year. So I, I, I hate questions like that, by the way, but uh, yeah, that's, give me that's why I asked them. So anyways, all right. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, maybe we'll talk to you later in the season where we can ask you that question again and you'll have a better answer. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Okay. Thanks Mike. Right, take care guys. Thanks. So that was our interview with Mike Craig. Pretty enjoyable. I was like a little concerned about, you know, generally like, cause he's on a lot of stuff and he's talks a lot of college basketball, but actually the, I, th- I thought we covered some interesting new ground in terms of understanding the process around how they um, wean down their picks. And then a little bit about where some of these early edges might come in college basketball around the, you know, early adjustments and things like that. Um, what do you think? I agree. I, th- I thought the, the way that they come up with picks is fascinating. And as you said, it, and Mike himself said probably too many meetings, but I think the, the idea of like having independent voices and then coming together, uh, to, to kind of figure it out, um, is, is interesting. And we, I didn't get to say this, but like, you know, every model has weaknesses, right. And so if you can, and so I think that that's the advantage there. Like, you know, one person might like this play, but, but their model isn't factoring in this particular piece of information this other person's using. And so they could say, okay, well, it makes sense why I like this play. Um, but given the information you have, it it would make sense to lay off. Yeah. I, I, again, I wonder though, like, especially some of the interesting stuff around the coach speak, he was like talking about the coach speak and you and I have always talked about whether there's signal or noise there. And it always seems like there's more noise than signal. Yeah. I mean, for a guy like Bill Belichick, clearly it's all noise, but 
NFL coaches are very polished people. Typically they've been doing this for a while. They've had to, they've, they're comfortable in front of the media. Whereas if you have the college basketball coach of, you know, um, SUNY Morrisville, I didn't know that existed or Goldie Becom, that's a college. Um, clear, actually they're probably, those coaches probably have, there's no press conferences for them, but, um, but like a coach of like a Bucknell or something, right? Like, I don't know how much the, I, I think they're probably going to be a little more authentic than an NFL coach. Probably fair. But again, you don't know what, what's motivating them to say what they're saying. No, that's or, true. Yeah. That's very true. And so, I mean, but I think the idea of if you collect data points on these coaches and, and essentially figure out how believable they are, how much, how often what they say actually ends up like, you know, being legitimate information, then you can figure out which coaches to listen to and which coaches not to. Uh, Spartan dog on Twitter just messaged me and said, would you please apologize to Rufus on the bet the process podcast for always correcting him when he says, regardless, you incorrectly try and correct him by using the word irregardless, which is actually not a word that should be used. Thanks. I don't think Spartan dog understands that this is a shtick. But I actually do like that he said, which is actually not a word that should be used. He didn't say, which is actually not a word, because I'll go down to my deathbed to say that irregardless is actually a word. It was introduced into the dictionary. And people say, oh, well, that was added later. Well, well language well, is- word wasn't added language, later. Yeah, lang language is fluid. You know, you get new words. Like lol um, is apparently a word now, right? Is it? I think. Well, it will be at some point if it isn't. Irregardless of that, um, I did want to cover the BPR uh, criticism of our picks last week, where you were touting uh, the you know the the Bills as your pick, and kind of like saying why your model said what it was, but also not acknowledging that like it it is kind of a funny process to say what you said right now. If you think back on it, you're like, oh, I like the Bills here, but that's because I'm not accounting for burrow being healthier burrow's injury probably obviously i i was saying oh i like the the chiefs and you know you were like uh -huh. oh you know they're you know they're on the road and i of course i knew they're on the road but like i like the model no, it's neutral that I'm, neutral field but but right but it's i mean neutral but like you they said were they're not as the they're not team. at home they're not at home right Correct. my my point is that like I knew that also, but I'm like looking. Oh, well, you at said a you didn't know it. I think that was what well, was. Well, I was funny. just, I was just, I was just. Oh, okay, revisionist history here, huh? Whatever. Don't Malcolm Gladwell me. That's, okay. That's... Anyways, oh, yeah. we're covering this in a way just to laugh at ourselves, basically, and to say that BPR ratings had us nailed as frauds last week. So, although I, I won my bet, which was ended up being Baltimore oh, minus five and a half, and also said that, and also pre we predicted that there would be a line move which there was, and it went to six and six and a half in some yeah, locations. We, we both did like that Baltimore game, but I think you were just saying this now to try to to dunk on me because your pick won and mine didn't. Maybe, and I actually remembered the pick, so that's that's a rarity. But Bill's teasers, Bill's teaser like one, so I was happy with that. Yeah, that was a funny. Did you watch? You didn't. You don't watch football, but that was a that was a funny game in that. Um, since I looked like the right side you know, pretty much the whole game, but yet um, Buffalo was right in it at the end. And if they'd just been able to get a stop, I, I think what's fascinating to me is the way that football teams 
continue to be loss averse as it pertains to play calling when they have the lead. Teams that actually like have a lead put themselves into negative situations by not calling plays aggressively enough and then ultimately end up in situations where you know they they're they're having to get a stop and situate like the Eagles who are not usually like this were somewhat like this this week where they were running conservative offense i guess they normally can can move get yards because their offensive line is so good when they run um but they you know they should have lost to Dallas um i think i mean Dallas had a bunch of chances to win that game and and Philly should have lost um but you know even in the in the Cincinnati game um you know they 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 were aggressive uh they got the ball back up six points because uh, Buffalo scored a touchdown to to go down by eight, and then you know did the anal- new analytics thing of going for two and got the two, and then they um, on the first play of Cincy's drive, w- where really they needed probably two first downs to just be able to kneel out the clock, they threw like a I don't know thirty yard pass, which was great, and just got themselves like some real field position. So I wish more teams would do this. Because I think that, you know, the, and and you see it all the time again, like then, then they allow the other team to tie it. And then this team that was so dominant offense basically just marches down the field because the other team can't stop them. The only way they can stop them is if the other team gets super conservative. On are you, are you still talking? Yeah. Okay. This sometimes too. Now, now <laughs> well, well, welcome to my life, Rufus. Yep. All right. Do you want to, uh, you want to pick a game? Um, I, I guess so. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to be laughed at again. I'm actually going to take the the Jaguars plus the three at home against the Niners. Uh, it's it's interesting to me that the I feel like the Jags are like still a teeny bit underrated, and the Niners are teeny bit overrated. Um, although I guess everyone's expecting the Niners to be like right again after the bye and healthy and whatnot. So that's probably what's reflected here. I know that Jags are off the of bye also, but both teams coming off. I know, bye. I know, I know, but like. I think the narrative would be that the Niners were reeling going into the bye and got themselves right during the bye. I, I mean, I think Trent Williams will be back and I don't know if Debo will be back, but, and they got Chase Young and blah, 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 blah. So anyways, okay. What's your pick? Um, I'm going to go with the Chargers home three point dog against the Lions. Interesting. Not believing in that Lions magic. Not really. Huh? All right. I mean, they're good. No, the Lions are a good team for sure. I don't think they're an elite team. Yeah. I mean, three points on the road against the Chargers does seem, but uh, you know, this is one of those like nobody thinks the Chargers have really any home field kind of thing. That's part of the narrative, I'm sure. But we know home field isn't just the crowd. Um, they the Chargers are coming off a Monday night game, so they're off of a little bit of short rest. The Lions coming off a bye. The Lions no. are coming off a bye. Yeah, coming off a bye. Yeah, because oh, their last game was against their last game was the uh, Raiders game. Yeah, so the fateful Raiders game that sealed Josh McDaniel's fate. You, you know, did you did you see what happened in that Raiders game that we talked about? Where you know we had the the line move down to one, and um, I, I saw the Raiders like like completely trounce the Giants. Yeah. I mean, part um, of that is the Giants not really having a quarterback, and the Giants have losing Daniel Jones. They had they had to and, use like Danny DeVito's son or something, right? 
maybe brother. Grandson. I, I think it's know. brother, grandson, okay. something like that. Yeah. Um, but he's he's actually played this year before. He played quite a bit in the Jets game also. Um, and uh, yeah, the Giants are going to be a fun one to watch. So it was forward. what you were basically saying that the whole narrative about the coach being fired and what that line would do. And I basically said I would still I, I showed value on the Raiders and I would still think that that would be the I wouldn't have thought that um, McDaniel's firing would have hurt that bet. Yeah. So victory I, lap. I mean, I think the real issue we talked about was Aiden O'Connell being in for, um, for Jimmy Garoppolo. And I don't, you didn't probably didn't follow this, but during preseason, it, there was a ton of Aiden O'Connell buzz. Like everyone was like, Oh, this guy's really good. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, like, he was good in the preseason. Yeah, and there was a ton of buzz about him. So, I mean, I like hindsight 2020, obviously the the Raiders were the pick there. Um, but the line move I think you you indicated last week was probably much more for the quarterback than it was necessary for anything else. And maybe you could disagree with that line move because you're like, you know, Connell's gonna be just as good as Garoppolo. And there was interesting, like some buzz about when they played Hoyer instead of Aiden O'Connell when Garoppolo was out, everyone was like, what is McDaniels even doing here? Why would you play Hoyer in that situation when, you know, you have a chance to give this young guy a chance and you have a, a, a backup that, you know, is never going to really well, be. This was, I mean, I read this this week. It ba- apparently it was because he was going up against the bears and Tyson Bajan. And like, he was like, well, we have the advantage if we go with, since they have a rookie quarterback, if we go with the veteran, it was almost variance minimization, I guess, but yeah. Well, anyway, it didn't work out so well. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you guys all again next week. All the numbers in the simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are but the engines running off a of leaded. None of it's organic. It all sounds synthetic. That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks of the year. They just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner. Give the information turn and losing betters into winners. Yeah, Sam Hahn, Reppin' Ruckers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers, Massey Peabody rankings, we're looking for the edge, analytically driven, crunching all the numbers.